as we continue with our series, The Next Million. Uh, the series has been looking at Metro Vancouver through the lens of another million people living here. Our population is presently 2.8 million people and is expected at 3.8 million by 2050. So how do we accommodate all these new residents? How do we work? How do we live and play in a region with a million more people? Now, earlier this week, we had former Premier Christy Clark join us to discuss how we govern the region in 2050. We were also recently joined uh, by Peter Dillon, Chairman of Ocean Spray, to discuss food security for our region. In the weeks ahead, we'll all be looking at policing in 2050. And we're going to look beyond Surrey policing, by the way. And of course, race uh, race relations in a multi-ethnic city and how we build more homes for our city. And of course, First Nations communities and their impact on Metro Vancouver over the next 25 years. Well, today we're going to focus on moving people from the the, uh, context of transit. You can't talk about the next million without involving TransLink. Better public transit uh, has huge benefits for communities, of course, so well-being, boosting economies, and of course, helping climate change. But what does urban transit look like moving forward? Well, joining me now to discuss the future of transit with another million residents is Kevin Quinn, the CEO of TransLink. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, John. My apologies for the long introduction, but I think no. you need to sort of put all this in context. It does. It is, uh, you know, looking at things at 30,000 feet, but it's very important because it can have such an impact on the quality of life in a region, mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to moving people. Um, before we begin sort of the broader conversation, give me a snapshot of where TransLink is in sort of this post-pandemic environment. Sure, happy to do that. Um, you know, it's uh, TransLink's at a really interesting place. In fact, I'd say we're at a bit of a, a very pivotal crossroads. Uh, our ridership recovery sits today about 90% of uh, what it was pre-pandemic. And so we're actually leading North America in ridership recovery. Our SkyTrain system sits at, you know, the fourth busiest in North America uh, hmm. of rapid transit systems. Our bus system is the third busiest. And I think what's fascinating about transit in Metro Vancouver is that you know while we're fourth overall in North America in ridership, we're only the you know, 25th or 26th biggest metro area by population, right? So mm-hmm. we, we really punch above our weight. Um, at the same time, you know, as, as we've been encouraging riders to come back to the system, uh, it's a bit of a double-edged sword as we're now really starting to see some overcrowding out on the system. And, and overcrowding levels now match or are worse than they were in 2019 when TransLink was growing at a really rapid pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're doing what we can. You know, uh, ridership recovery has really um, uh, been different based on geographic areas. So, you know, south of the Fraser has come back and some areas are at 120, 130% ridership return. Some routes are at 150%. I mean, it's, mm. it's quite incredible how ridership has come back. And, you know, you, you, you take that, uh, and you put it against the fact that, you know, as you noted, the region is growing set to grow by a million people by 2050. Mm-hmm. Uh, just last year, uh, you know, while there were projections of about 50,000 per year, we saw about 77,000 people come to the region, another 70,000 this year. And so our region is growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, we're starting to see the pressures of that on our transit system. Okay. Uh, now, when people think transit, or maybe when I do, yeah. I always think SkyTrain first. It's, it's sure. the shiny bauble. It moves yeah. people. It's been around. It's got a great history in the city. But I actually don't want to talk about transit, trans, uh, the, the SkyTrain, because yeah. uh, it's a beautiful piece of technology. Many people say it's really expensive. And I've been through enough meetings in my time as a mm. reporter for 25 years in the Canada line, even the old Expo line. I want to talk about the humble bus mm. just for a moment. Yeah. Where does the bus fit in in regards to moving people by 2050. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the bus is uh, is the crown jewel 
you know, the bus is the, the ultimate workhorse of any transit system. And in fact, the bus plays uh, center stage for us in our 10-year priorities. So, you know, we've worked uh, with our mayors, uh, our mayor's council and our, our board to really outline what the next 10 years of investments we want to look like in our, in our access for everyone plan. And that plan does take a bus first approach. You know, as we've gone out and done public outreach for uh, Transport 2050, our 30-year transportation plan, or even this 10-year plan, um, you know, what we've heard loud and clear is people want solutions now. Uh, the fact is there's a climate crisis now. There's an affordability mm -hmm. crisis today. There's a housing crisis right now. We can't wait uh, 20 years for a solution to come. And so we think that um, a bus-first approach is the right one. And, and so we've got big plans in that 10-year priorities to double local bus service over the next 10 years, to introduce bus rapid transit uh, technology, uh, technology this region has never really seen. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it really, the bus does take center stage. We, uh, we need more space for depots. We need to electrify the bus fleet, but absolutely the, the, the mighty bus uh, shines large in our plans. So for it's sure. still it, the the center of moving people is still the bus. It's not going to be SkyTrain. Yeah, our our bus system today moves uh, around sixty to seventy percent of all of our riders, and I would suspect that stays the same. That said, you know we've got some great SkyTrain expansions underway with the mm -hmm. Broadway Subway project and the Surrey Langley SkyTrain. That's going to add a lot of riders to to the SkyTrain system. That said. Um, there are industrial areas today that don't have service. There are new residential areas coming on board that do not have service, and, and we want to provide that service. A lot of that comes down to having uh, the buses, the depots, and the operating funding to make that happen. Um, I want to talk about technology just for a second. Sure. When you look at ride sharing, you know, literally, if I get an Uber or, or Lyft, I know when the, the, the driver is coming, how far away mm -hmm. they are. When can we see something like that for a bus? Let's just say if you know uh, the bus you're going to yeah. catch and there's some way to log on, or how far away are we from that? So we're, we're here. So you can use the transit app or Google Maps, and uh, for the most part, you can see buses moving on those lines. We're in the process of upgrading the technology on our buses so that that's really shown everywhere. But I take the bus every day to get to work. I take the bus and the SkyTrain, and uh, I take a look at you know, those apps to see where my bus is and, and uh, follow along. You can sign up for rider alerts on our website. Riders can do that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but that's certainly a key piece of technology. That's part of the rider experience. You know, there's a lot of stress for riders when they don't know when that bus is coming. And so we want to make those investments in technology, in the signage at SkyTrain stations, at bus transfer areas, so that people know when that bus is coming. Because that can be just tr tremendously stressful for people. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. uh, I want to talk just in regards to in a post-COVID environment, we got a lot of uh, folks working from home. Mm -hmm. It's not your traditional nine to five jobs for yeah. a lot of folks, even though there's probably a push and pull between businesses and employees. Mm -hmm. How does that impact uh, TransLink moving forward? I'm very curious because uh, that's got to be part of your conversation regards to scheduling at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. The the um, the traditional nine to five schedule, the, the AM and PM peaks, um, I'd say they're not as peaky as they used to be, mm -hmm. but they're still there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, from a scheduling perspective, we have seen the weekends come back uh, stronger than the weekdays. Not to say that the weekdays aren't still at 90%, but those weekends, you know, when people have somewhere to go on the weekends, they're taking transit to get there. Hmm. I, I think for us, you know, where we've had to be 
nimble and, and quite frankly, adapt to the, the circumstances thrown at us is from a, a geographic perspective. So, you know, I, I noted the, the ridership return in Surrey. Well, we've had to, you know, reallocate service. 17% uh, of our service uh, has gone into Surrey and Langley and uh, the, the Langleys to, so that, you know, we can meet that, uh, that demand. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so for us, it's, it is re-looking at schedules for different areas. Some areas have more uh, commuters coming in, some areas much less so. And so we've had to adapt it. It has completely transformed the way that people travel in the region uh, post-COVID. And I think that we know hybrid work in some form is likely here to stay. Mm -hmm. I, I, I always like to think that, you know, we know that ridership will soon come back to 100%. It'll be a different 100% than was riding uh, pre-COVID. You're speaking to Kevin Quinn, CEO of TransLink. Um, we're talking about what TransLink must deal with uh, up to 2050 as we add another million more residents uh, to the Metro Vancouver region. Uh, Kevin, let's talk a little bit about um, just the quality of service sometimes. And I was reading something earlier today, uh, and it's the city of Houston where they want to get more people engaged in, in, in the transit system, but there's not a lot of money to, to buy as many buses as you want and those types of things. What they've done there, and I don't know how successful it's going to be, is some of the smaller routes they've, they've pulled back on resources and added them to the major routes. So people may not always be close to a bus stop, mm -hmm. but uh, the bus stops that, that are the next stop or whatever it may be will have more service. Um, could you see something like that? Because I know you're looking for more dollars from the feds. You're going to look for more dollars from the province. Perhaps there's other ways to raise money, but you know, there's always a fight for dollars from the pub on the public mm -hmm. side. Could you ever look at something like that in regards to just making sure you, you you're maximizing all the, all the dollars that you have? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you're getting at is sort of a, a traditional age old philosophical debate around, you know, frequency versus coverage here. Mm -hmm. So you know, jokingly, we like to say, you know, how how thin do you want to spread the peanut butter, right? Yeah. You know, do you want to put a whole lot of peanut butter on just a few corridors or do you want to spread it thin all around? There's just limited resources. Yeah. And so, uh, so you know, to your point, you know, what I think uh, it sounds like Houston is doing is, is taking off of some of those coverage routes and adding it to higher frequency. I think one of the differences that I've seen incoming uh, from the U.S. Is, is how Canadian systems approach this. And Canadian systems really prioritize frequency. Really, uh, frequency is freedom. Frequency is king. And so I'm very proud of the fact that TransLink has uh, routes at uh, very high frequencies compared to those, those U.S. routes. Um, and in fact, you know, part of the 10-year priorities includes uh, increasing those frequencies uh, in off-peak hours, which is a complaint that we often get. You know, buses running at 15 minutes need to be every five. Buses running at every 30 need to run every 15 or mm -hmm. uh, even more frequently in the evening hours when people are trying to get to work. Um, and so, you know, I think for our part, what we want to do is, you know, increase that frequency. We, we, we want the best of both worlds. We want both frequency on these routes and coverage because what we recognize is, you know, when people, um, people will use a service when it's so frequent that they don't need a schedule, right? They don't need to look at when it's going to come. They just want to go out to the bus stop and know that within a few minutes, a bus is going to come and serve them. Mm -hmm. That is the type of service that allows people to get out of their cars. That's the type of service that allows people to say, you know what, I don't need to drive today because I know there's a reliable service that's going to come frequently and take me where I need to go. And it's going to be reliable and on time and safe, all those things. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of where we're, where we're thinking. Okay. Um, let's talk about funding the system. Um, sure. uh, twice this week, we've had a, 
a significant amount of calls and conversation around the carbon tax, mm. which is a broader national conversation mm, sure. provincially. Um, uh, we're going to talk about it at five o'clock again. And people concerned about the growth of the carbon tax and affordability. That's not specific to TransLink. But what is specific to TransLink, when people gas up, 18 and a half cents per liter sure. goes towards funding TransLink. Every time I see a Tesla, that's one less person paying into um, paying for our transit system, right? It remains probably the existential threat to TransLink. Yeah. Um, do we need a new funding model in regards to where we're going? Yes, we do. Absolutely, we do. And I, I think, you know, I started off our conversation by noting that we're at a very uh, pivotal crossroads for TransLink. And I think this is this is part of it. You know, the, the traditional funding models for funding transit have been the same for, for decades, for generations, right? Mm-hmm. And it's uh, heavily relied on fuel taxes. And I think uh, there are a couple things have happened. You know, one is COVID really kind of broke that model and suddenly technology allows people to work from home, you know, mm-hmm. as you noted. Mm-hmm. A second piece of it is this fuel tax piece, which is, uh, you know, we have more uh, energy efficient vehicles out on the road. We now have EVs that aren't paying into the system. And so, you know, we actually think that TransLink's uh, total fuel tax revenue that we've uh, that we've received has probably peaked last year, and when we take a look out at projections over the next ten years, that is a, a precipitously declining revenue source. And that's not just TransLink; that's every North American transportation agency that's funded through fuel taxes facing this exactly uh, exactly the same problem. And so we do need a, a new funding model. We need to rethink uh, our passenger fares. We need to rethink. Um, uh, the fuel tax, uh, we've, we're facing these really big external cost pressures like inflation uh, has just done a tremendous number. Everybody's feeling this, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. feeling it and TransLink uh, is no different. Will it, in meaning the federal government perhaps would have to put more money in? Would it mean the provincial government be the sole fund, funder beyond just uh, fares uh, when you get into a bus? I mean, how do you subsidize that 18 and a half cents? It's a lot of money. It is, yeah. I, I think we've got to get creative. I, I think it's going to take all partners coming to the table, both the province and the federal government. You know, right now, the federal government has come forward with a permanent transit fund that would take effect in 2026. I want to note that uh, that's $3 billion nationwide. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, our 10-year uh, priorities is, a, is a, at least a $21 billion plan. And so we've got to do more, right? We, we know this region is growing. We know we have overcrowding. And so we have to, we, we have to solve this funding problem, yeah. uh, both on the capital and the operating side as we're facing all of these pressures uh, of, of a growing system and an overcrowded system and new areas we know we have to serve. Kevin Quinn, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jeff.